global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. The Bloomberg Futures Report brought to you by Interactive Brokers and CME Group. If you're looking for global futures contracts at low trading costs, look no further. Interactive Brokers is the industry leader. Learn more at interactivebrokers.com slash CME Group. U.S. stock index futures, their little change to lower with stocks heading for their first monthly gain in four. This after a rally that took the S&P 500 to this year's high. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures down about two points now. Dow E-mini futures down 16. NASDAQ E-mini futures down about four. The DAX in Germany is down seven-tenths percent. Ten-year treasury up 3.30 seconds. The yield 1.81 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.74 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 1% or 39 cents to 37.93 a barrel. COMEX gold is up 9 tenths percent or $11.60 to 12.40.30 an ounce. The euro, $1.1396. The yen, 112.14. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Barry. Karen, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. We say good morning to all. Uh, Kathleen Hayes coming up with Charles Evans. Uh, a, a very important uh, note. Matt Faber. Uh, is is different. He he is twisted in looking at investment, and that is a good thing. He's always outside the box. Um, one of the books, Shareholder Yield, uh, is more than important uh, in something that has been uh, uh, front and center for the last four or five years. It's been way too long. Matt, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for getting up so early on your West Coast uh, time. How dumb were you this quarter? It's always a good thing to ask an investment manager. <laughs> were you were you smart as we end the first quarter, or is this one you want to forget? Well, we had a lot of different ETFs, so it depends on the one you're talking about. But, um, you know, the way we see the world and the way that it's looked for the past few years, a lot of the cheap stuff, so we mean cheap stocks around the world, and a lot of emerging bonds and such haven't been the things that are going up. And so they've continued to go down, and you haven't had what we love to see, which is value and momentum overlap. Um, and you may be starting to see that this year. A lot of the cheap things are starting to go up around the world, but, uh, you know, who knows? So the first quarter is a mixed bag, but we're starting to see, we think, a lot of rebounds in the cheapest markets around the world. Hey, Meb, I know you're a huge fan of shareholder yield, uh, both buybacks and, and dividends. And when we look at the S&P uh, dividend group, things are getting a little pricier there, aren't they? And, and the second half of that question is, is it doesn't seem because it's due to price appreciation. It's due to falling earnings. What, what are we to make of this? Well, everyone in the world is looking for yield, and so dividend stocks have done fantastic for the past decade or so as, as people are searching for yield. But what happens when flows and billions of dollars chase uh, a certain factor or an investment approach? Well, of course, it gets expensive. And so dividend stocks, which historically trade at a discount to the overall market with valuation of around 20%, are actually trading at a premium to the overall market. So we often say that dividend stocks are something you want to run away from right now because they're very, very expensive. Um, but what you really want to look for is any stock that has low valuations, high free cash flows, and often that's the case with returning those cash flows to shareholders through buybacks. So it's that holistic yield, dividends and buybacks, but most importantly, including some sort of valuation filter to make sure you're getting a cheap stock 
not just a high-yielding one. So where are we finding these inexpensive stocks? What sectors, what part of the world, and, and what cap size? Well, we think the U.S. Is, is expensive. We don't think it's terrible, but it's on the expensive side. So we're looking for lower single-digit returns. But the good news is most of the world is pretty cheap, and some of the world is exceptionally cheap. So long-term P.E. ratio in the U.S., let's call it around 23, 24, most of the world around 15, but there's about a dozen countries that are trading below a P.E. ratio of around 10 right now. And there's a great PIMCO research affiliate study that just came out that says five-year future performance when, the, when a 10-year P.E. ratio of a country dips below 10, you're looking at about a 17% per year. So you can buy a basket of these countries. Now you're going to be in a lot of Europe, Brazil, yeah. Russia, but we think they have strong returns going forward. And then worse than that are the banks. Uh, it has been an ugly first quarter for, just to pick a theme, European banks. You see that today as they ebb down as well. How does a guy like you get smart enough to know when to buy the dogs of European banking? Well, the, the challenge with this strategy, of course, is that you're buying into countries' valuation strategy globally, macro, you're almost always buying where the news flow is terrible. I mean, you're talking about European banks right now and Europe in general. Europe's trading at the cheapest levels since 08 in the early 80s. And those are pretty good buying opportunities. But if you look at the news flow also in Russia a couple years ago, Brazil right now, total basket case. But you take a step back and look at their stock markets, some of those are really starting to bounce. Brazil up 30% this year, I think. Uh, Russia also up in the teens or maybe even 20%. Europe has been a huge laggard, uh, but we think it's a close your eyes, hold your nose type of investment <laughs> that you want to hold for the next certainly three to ten years even. Uh, you know, Meb, we look at the European banks uh, and their book value. It's trading at about half of the valuation that the United States banks are, and our banks seem to not be doing all that well also. Uh, what do you say? What do you say to an investor who says, Wait, you want me to buy European banks? They look just so god-awful. This looks like a terrible trade. Well, the, the key with valuation is that you don't want to trade a whole lot. So the minimum or the maximum you should be updating this portfolio or rebalancing, let's call it once a year. You could even do it once every two years. So you start to wade into these foreign countries, and you don't want to obviously just pick a particular sector or even one country because you have a lot of concentration mm -hmm. risk there. But there's a great quote we often talk about when we say, investing is the only business when things go on sale, everyone runs out of the store. So nobody wants these assets. Yeah. If you, the, all the callers were probably going to get a bunch of hate mail saying, you can't believe we're talking about investing in Europe right now. What a terrible idea. But that's usually a good sign. Meb Faber with us with some uh, basics on investing, uh, co-founder and chief investment officer, Cambria Investment Manager. We will continue uh, with Meb Faber. Uh, love his background, UVA, engineering, science, and biology, which I think is pretty cool. It's sort of like a biomedical engineering thing. Meb Faber will continue on investment sensibility. That's what we do with Barry Redholtz on economics, finance, investment. Charles Evans in 15 minutes. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Counting down to the opening bell brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. The Jeep Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior, legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. 
Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1140, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. And good morning. I'm Karen Moscow, along with Tom Keene and Barry Ritholtz. And the opening bell is brought to you by SEI. In the future, the asset management business will be profoundly different. Find out how SEI's global operating platform can help you navigate the new operational frontier at SEIC.com slash imagine. Stocks are a little changed at the open. The S&P 500 is at 2063. Dow Jones Industrial Average up four points to 17,721. And the Nasdaq is down less than a point to 48.68. Ten-year Treasury up 2.30 seconds. The yield 1.81 percent. The yield on the two-year 0.75 percent. NYMEX crude oil down six tenths percent or 21 cents to 38.11 a barrel. COMEX gold is up eight tenths percent or ten dollars to 12.38.70 an ounce. The euro, $1.1389, the yen, $112.16. Tom and Barry. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Looking out at the Quinnipiac Forum, Kathleen Hayes getting ready for an interview with Charles Evans. We'll do that in 15 minutes. Right now, Meb Faber with us uh, with Cambria Investment. Meb, I want to talk about diversification, the great word from Peter uh, Lynch. If I own ETFs, I'm diversified. And is there a risk of owning so many ETFs that I'm basically indexing my way into oblivion? You know, we did a book uh, called Global Asset Allocation that looked at a lot of the top guru asset allocation strategies over time, all the way back to the 70s. We looked at about 20, and what we found was they had vastly different allocations. So some of the top investors in the world, David Swinson, Ray Dalio, recommended portfolios for individuals. And what we found was that, you know, some would have 15% in gold, some would have zero. Some would have a huge allocation in emerging markets, some would have very little and what we found is the allocation matters very little over time. Um, the, as long as you had some global stocks, some global bonds, and a smattering of real assets, the portfolios had a rough return within one percentage point of each other over time. So if you're a buy and hold investor, one of the biggest things you could do is simply find a portfolio, stick with it, and not pay a lot in fees. Because if you paid the average amount of financial advisor on top of average mutual fund fees, it would have taken the best performing portfolio if you had a crystal ball in 1972 and turned it into worse than the worst. So having a global allocation, you could go out, we have an ETF that's 0% management fee ETF, buys the world, easy example of something that you could have an allocation as long as you have some foreign exposure, stocks, bonds, real assets, you should be okay. Fees matter. Diversification matters. Doing less is better than doing more. Is that is that what listeners should take away from you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, that gets you to the goal line. That gets you 90% of the way there. Now, there's things you can certainly do after that. You could tilt away from market cap weighting. You could tilt towards value. Um, one of my favorite things that uh, tends to be fairly atypical is you could add trend. And so whether that's managed futures or some sort of trend-following momentum approach, mm-hmm. that's one of the best diversifiers historically in an 08 environment. It's done great over the past year or two, uh, but it's uncomfortable for a lot of investors. But, yes, yeah, sensible, don't pay too much in fees, and that's great advice. Okay, so on trend basis and commodities and looking at the acclaimed turtle trading from decades ago, that's all great. Commodities have blown up. When does Meb Faber climb on board a new trend for commodities? What do you need to see? 
commodities from both a strategic and tactical investment. So we think commodities have a great role to play in a portfolio, even a, even a long-only approach as a percentage of a portfolio. Um, going a step further, we think that managed futures, which is simply a long, short approach to world assets, but very heavy in commodities um, based on trends, is an even better approach. And so for the past year or two or three, you would have been short a lot of these commodities. And so managed futures does a great job in particular in deflationary type of environments or environments where, uh, and inflationary, but where there's extreme market moves to hedge a traditional portfolio. So we allocate to both. We have a strategic mm-hmm. long-only exposure to commodities uh, and also a exposure to managed futures commodities, one of the most hated asset classes along with emerging markets and uh, European uh, stocks. But, yeah, we're, we're big fans of both. Uh, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier about the zero-fee ETF. Talk to us about that. What does that hold, and how can you essentially give that away for nothing? Well, we manage seven ETFs that charge normal ETF fees around the 0.5% range, 0.6% range, but we've never done buy and hold because we've always said, look, you know, we don't think people should be charging much for this because by definition – you're not doing anything. You're buying and holding. So we said we could launch a, and it's the, currently the only one with a permanent 0% management fee. It's simply a wrapper. It holds 29 ETFs around the world from all sorts of various providers. Uh, the total all-in fee is 0.29%, but it gives you access to over 30,000 securities around the world. It's got tilts towards value. It's got tilts towards momentum. It owns some commodities. But with one click, it's called it's a global asset allocation. You can get exposure to the to the yeah. broad core universe, uh, and so we think it's we think it's a great holding. And that symbol, uh, GAA. GAA. Meb, um, I, I've been in the double leveraged all cash fund. <laughs> I hear you're coming out with a triple leveraged all cash fund. Tell me about leverage. Um, well, you know what, what's what's the famous Warren Buffett quote? It says that. Um, you know, dumb people should never use it, and smart people don't need it. Uh, you know, leverage <laughs> leverage is a double-edged sword. You get plenty of leverage already with a lot of the the non-leveraged funds. There's there's plenty of action on those. So there's a lot yeah. of crazy ideas coming out in the ETF space, but there's been crazy ideas as long as markets have existed. So a lot of the a lot of the plain vanilla we think is is certainly a little, a little well, more sensible. Barry Reynolds, jump in here, but I would just say there was a white paper years ago. It basically said if you get out over 1.38 to 1 leverage, that's when dampening functions undampen and bad things happen. Listen, uh, leverage just basically takes good things uh, that are temporary and makes them a little better on a temporary basis. And when bad things hit, that makes it bad on a permanent basis. Yeah, but what, it, that's really, the what it really does is accentuate if you are right seven times and you're wrong once. You're done. If you're leveraged that wrong once blown up. And, and that's you're talking about uh, you know 1.3%. Remember during the financial crisis a lot of uh, large oh, institutions yeah. were leveraged 30 and 40 to 1. Yeah. They had a 2% uh, error. Yeah. Matt Faber, thank you so much for getting up early. He's out on the West Coast. We really appreciate it. Cambria Investment Management get a huge response when he's on. Thanks for the social media support there for Mr. Um, Faber. Um, Barry, what will you listen for from Charles Evans of Chicago? So I want to get into the nuance of exactly how dovish the Fed is going to be, what he thinks they should be looking at in order to continue 
liftoff and whether they're as data dependent as uh, yeah. Chair Yellen says they are. I want to listen to him on inflation and particularly where Cleveland CPI and course CPI are at two-ish level in, in the, the migration there. If Evans with a new terminal value and with a lack of productivity, like we've heard from many of our guests, is, is 1.8 the new two? Or is 1.7 the new two? I don't know if Kathleen will get there, but really looking forward uh, to this. Kathleen Hayes with Charles Evans, all that uh, coming up. We look at equities, bonds, currencies, commodities, markets open. The VIX pretty much unched 13.58, red and green on the screen. Dow up, S&P down fractionally. Uh, yields are in. This is still the yellow effect. It has been profound. We've shown that chart any number of times. The two-year yield, 0.7487. In a basis point, that's very important. I notice also uh, European bank stocks continue to erode. Um, that, that's been off the radar this week, and I really can't tell why because it's been a really profound move. Again, uh, Kathleen Hayes with Charles Evans of Chicago. All that coming up next. This hour, Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Mazda White Plains. Visit MazdaWhitePlains.com. With our news in New York, here's Michael Barr. Tom Barry, thank you very much. Donald Trump has been criticized by presidential candidates on both sides of the aisle after initially saying yesterday that if abortion is ever banned, a woman getting one should face some form of punishment. Trump later said in a statement that abortion providers, not women, should be the ones punished. Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton told MSNBC Trump's initial comments were outrageous and dangerous. I'm constantly just taken aback at uh, the kinds of things that uh, he advocates for. Uh, you know, Maya Angelou said uh, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And once again, he has showed us who he is. The death toll is at least 15 now in the partial collapse of an overpass under construction in eastern India. The chunks of concrete struck people traveling in their vehicles in Kolkata. Scientists say sea levels could rise as much as three feet as the West Antarctic ice sheet could melt rapidly. The ice sheet is larger than Mexico for now. Researchers have said it would take hundreds, if not thousands of years for it to disintegrate, but researchers suggest that could happen much sooner. The study is in the journal Nature. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Tom Barry. Very good. On the Fed Derby, Michael Barr, thank you so much. On the Fed Derby, we'll get an update, some intelligence from Charles Evans of Chicago, Kathleen Hayes in conversation with President Evans. We will do that next. Worldwide, Bloomberg Radio. Bloomberg Surveillance being brought to you by Ashen Block and Ashen, named the best accounting firm in North America for the sixth year in a row by Hedgeweek.com.